Let me see your Bibles this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 19. You can even hold your phone up if you want to. If that makes you feel good, hold your phone up. Whatever device that you need to use, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 19 as we study together this morning from the Word of God. Gene Smith, an American historian, he authored a book entitled When the Cheering Stopped. book told about Woodrow Wilson and the events that surrounded World War I. And upon the end of the year, the people were very optimistic. They believed that the last war had just been fought, and so the dream was that the world had last been made safe, and the way had been paved for democracy and for freedom everywhere. And so when Woodrow Wilson paid his first visit to Europe, he was greeted by large crowds. And I mean, there was all this cheering that went on everywhere that he went. And so in many people's eyes, he was more popular than the greatest war heroes throughout the land. I mean, he was viewed as an icon of hope. And so in all, the cheering lasted for about a year or so. And then all of a sudden, one by one, it just slowly began to stop. The political leaders throughout Europe, they were interested more in their own agendas than a lasting peace, and the people slowly just kind of faded away, and they lost hope. And on the home front, Wilson met a lot of opposition in the Senate, and the League of Nations was never ratified. And so under tremendous stress, his health began to fail, and in the next election, his party lost. Woodrow Wilson, who was almost two years earlier heralded as a hero, came to his last days as defeated and as a broken man. You know, history is full of people with examples of what we just looked at. People who started out very humbly, rose to great popularity and great power, and then just slowly comes to the end of their life just in utter humiliation. I want you to think about your walk with God this morning. I want you to go back to a time where you just felt as on top of the mountain as you've ever been. You know, we sang a song this morning, mountains high and valleys low. And sometimes in our faith walk, we're on top of the mountain. Sometimes we feel like we're in the valley. Sometimes we feel like we're just kind of in between. We're just kind of there. Okay, I don't know where you are this morning, but I want you to think about that time that was an all-time high for you spiritually. I want you to go back to that place for a moment. What was it that caused you to be so in tune with God at that point? What was it that had you so connected with God that you just felt in awe of Him? I mean, you were just up here. And then I want you to think about that time where you're low. Go to that place for a minute. How do you go from the mountaintop to the valley? How do you go from being so on fire for Jesus to just kind of being mundane and being there? Church, let's be honest. Do we have those moments in our walk with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? We do, don't we? Jesus, as he's approaching Jerusalem here in our text, we see an example. Jesus, the son of a carpenter, 
educated in Nazareth, one who had gained all this favor with men, one who was cheered and praised one moment, would soon be mocked and scorned and cast aside by the same ones who did the cheering. On that Palm Sunday, as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, now we know before that, he did some, he did some amazing teaching on his way to Jerusalem, didn't he? He ran into uh, a great little guy named Zacchaeus, and he made all the difference in Zacchaeus' life. But before that, he ran into a man named Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, who was sitting there on the side and no telling how long that he had been in that state. But then he looked to Jesus and he said the amazing statement that all of us long to say, Lord, I just want to see. How many of you here this morning just want to see Jesus clear day by day? That's our goal, isn't it? And yet Satan does all that he can in his powers to put roadblocks, to put things in our midst that cloud the vision of Jesus. The church, I'm here to tell you this morning, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can rise above any roadblock that Satan puts up. Look at it this way. Any roadblock that Satan puts in your way is just one more opportunity that you have to plow through it. It's one more opportunity that you have because here's the deal. God has given you the power to go right through the roadblock. Amen? He's given you the strength to make it through that. He's given you the hope to rise above that roadblock so that this right here happens. Jesus wants to make sure that the things in front of you are not what defines who you are, but yet what makes you worthy in his sight is that you bow down and you worship and you crown him Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So Jesus finds his way to Jerusalem. And I want you to listen to this scene as we begin Luke chapter 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. I would say that's a pretty special donkey, wouldn't you? I mean, here is a colt, a donkey that's never been ridden before. And you know why? Because it had been prepared just for this scene. It had been prepared just for Jesus. He says, I want you to untie it and I want you to bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owners asked him, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, and I've walked down that path, and what a 
beautiful scene it is. And the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. And church, I want us to read together in unison this morning the next verse. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I want to go back and read that again. You ready? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. The Jews, they're in search of someone. They desired a king. They wanted a conqueror, someone to set them free. And they had already seen the mighty works of Jesus. They were witnesses to him restoring sight to the blind. They saw the evidence of him healing the lame. They saw him feed the multitude with a little boy's lunch and had leftovers to spare. They heard about him raising Lazarus up from the dead. They listened to him teach with authority. Surely with authority and power like that, Jesus was without a doubt the one who would set them free. So, here's what happens. Jesus came to Jerusalem, and the crowds begin to cheer. Timing's right. There's a lot of people in Jerusalem at this time. It's approaching the Passover feast, which was symbolic of where the death angel would pass over Egypt and Pharaoh would let God's children go. And so now Jesus somehow would lead them from the horrible treatment they received from the Roman government. And as he rode into town on that donkey and as he looked through the crowd, here were two things that Jesus knew right off. Number one, he knew their heart. And number two, he knew their desires. Jesus looks over us this morning. You can be rest assured, he knows your heart and he knows your desires. So where is your heart? And what are your desires? Are your desires always in line with Jesus? Well, we try, don't we? That's our goal. But sometimes so many other things get in the way that we kind of start paying attention to other desires. And before you know it, the one who wants our desires and who longs for our worship in everything, all of a sudden, we just slowly but surely fade away from him. And we start worshiping and bowing down and spending allegiance and time with everything else. And yet in our minds, we keep hearing these words, our God is a jealous God. So when he doesn't have our full attention, what does he long for, church? He longs for your heart to be back where he is. He longs for your desires to be back with him. You see, 500 years earlier, the prophet Zechariah had proclaimed that, in fact, that when he wrote these words in chapter 9, verse 9, I want you to hear this. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, here's a prophecy. Your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That donkey served as a symbol that this is not just any king. This symbolized here is the king right in front of your eyes. Here is the one that we've been talking about. Here's the one we've been prophesying about. He's right here in front of you, and yet so many people did what? Didn't see it. So many people thought it was going to be somebody else. Because you see, in times of war, conquerors would ride in chariots or upon prancing stallions. But here's the difference. In times of peace, the king would ride a colt to symbolize, now listen to this, that peace prevailed. So for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem upon a colt is to declare, I am a king and I am declaring and proclaiming peace. And so as you look at the very one who's riding into town on this donkey, Peace is right in front of you. How many of you long for peace right now in your life? We live in a world of chaos, don't we, church? We live in a world that's just in disarray all around. But yet, in our minds, just like that day as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey, he's sending a message, I'm here. Peace. I bring to you, and of all the times and of all the places, if anywhere needed peace at the moment, it was right there where Jesus was. And the people longed for it. They needed it in their life. And yet, a lot of them missed it. A lot of them missed it. Because they thought it was going to be somewhere else. They thought it was going to be through somebody else. They missed the peace. And so for the crowds lining the road that day, Jesus riding a colt into the city was a public decoration. He is the promised king. And so here's the question. How do people respond to that? Would they recognize that his kingdom was not of this world and that it was a spiritual kingdom and he was to be a spiritual king? Small chance of that because he had been teaching them for over three years and still some of them had not learned that lesson. But here's what happened that day. Perhaps some would greet him with laughter. Maybe they were amused by what Jesus was doing. I mean, after all, it's rather ridiculous picture. Here's a carpenter declaring himself to be a king. Back in that day, if anyone's going to be a king, it's not going to be carpenter but again jesus was not just any other man was he he was the king of kings perhaps some would think he's a lunatic living in a world of fantasy imagining himself to be a king and so a lot of people laughed at him and then others would greet him with anger because they would interpret his riding into the city as arrogance and as blasphemy toward god and of course, many would shout with joy, welcoming him as an earthly king who's coming to reestablish the throne of David. And then among the crowds 
would be people that he had healed. And they knew in their hearts, here he is. This is the man that I encountered. And this is the man that after he left me, boy, do I have a story to tell. And so Jesus looks over his waiting audience and he must have seen the mixture of expressions on their face. There were those who loved him. I bet you Bartimaeus was there who'd received his sight. I bet Zacchaeus was there. Still might have been up in a tree, I don't know. But I bet he was there. He had paid his debt back to society. He had made his peace with God. I bet the lepers were there. Their skin had been cleansed and now they're rejoicing for the healing that had taken place in their life. Maybe Jairus' daughter was there, back to life again after experiencing death. And then what about Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene? They were all probably there and their lives reflected the love that's in their heart for this man. And don't you know as they witnessed the crowd that day, don't you know their heart just melted away at how some people would treat Jesus? There were doubting faces there, faces with those squinty eyes. Have you ever had somebody look at you like this? You know when people look at you like that, they're up to no good, okay? There were people in the crowd that day. They were ready and waiting for him to say one wrong word to make one mistake. And as we saw in the text there, after they shout with loud voices, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, all of a sudden, who are the ones there to quiet the crowd down? It's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Because, you know, they're supposed to be the keepers of the law, the spiritual leaders. And because Jesus had gained so much popularity, they felt threatened and so full of jealousy in their hearts, they watched him like a hawk, just ready to correct every move that he would make. And suddenly, the whole procession stopped. You ever been in rush hour in Dallas? You're just going along and all of a sudden it just stops. And in your mind you're thinking, what's the deal? Is there a wreck? Somebody do something crazy again? I mean, what's the deal? Why did the procession stop? Here, Jesus begins to look over the crowd and he sees their faces. He saw no evidence of laughter. Rather, they saw sorrow and tears. Here was a moment where Jesus wasn't laughing. He's crying. And if you remember, Scripture tells us that Jesus reacted emotionally many times from different scenes that he went through. When he saw the poor, when he saw the hungry, when he saw the people sinning, when he saw the ill, he had compassion on them. That only tells us of two times that Jesus wept. Two times where Jesus literally cried. One time he cried at the grave of Lazarus. Remember Mary and Martha were both weeping and it says that Jesus wept. That's some of your favorite verses because it's one of the shortest verses in Scripture. Okay? That's one we always go to. Jesus wept. Okay? That's one moment in the history and the life of Jesus where he cried. Church, I don't know about you, but if I only know of two instances where he cries, I want to look deep into those moments to see what it was that was breaking his heart. And so he looks at the city of Jerusalem 
He saw the mixture of faces and the masses of humanity crowding there. And here's what he realized at that moment. He realized the emptiness that was in their heart. He realized that, couldn't help but weep. So look at verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And some of you that are claustrophobic, you don't like that verse right there, do you? I mean, all of a sudden, you just feel caged in all of a sudden, don't you? He says, they're going to dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You see, here was the sad part. They had eyes, but they didn't see. They had ears, but they didn't hear. They missed the whole point of the message that God had given them. And yet, when he looks over our lives today, I bet you a dollar there are moments in Jesus' heart where he says, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Sometimes Jesus is right in our midst, and we miss the very message that he's trying to send to us. Because we're so tied up and so preoccupied with life that we miss Jesus. And what Jesus says is, I want you to see me and be preoccupied with me so I can help you straighten your life out. You see the difference? He says, look to me first. I'm going to walk with you in life. Instead of being so wrapped up in life that you come to me later, he says, look to me. And so the fact that they waved palm branches showed that they really didn't understand because that's exactly what their great-grandparents had done when the Maccabees overthrew the Syrian oppressors and reestablished worship in the temple. And so by waving palm branches, they're showing that they expected Jesus just to be another general of the armies who would lead and overthrow the Romans. And yet, in all of that, we can hear Jesus saying, I didn't come for that purpose. I came to show you a more excellent way. I came to show you the way of love. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, it's an upside-down way of thinking of how you react in life. But he's saying love even Rome because Rome with her mighty army has seen the power of the sword, but Rome has not seen the power of love. And so he says, show them love. 
Our world needs to see the power of love that we have for the King of Kings. Amen? And maybe today, maybe Jesus is saying, look at where I have you planted. Look at where you are in Paris, Texas, and your little surrounding area. Look at it. You're here for a purpose. So, Paris, Texas, show the places around you a more excellent way. Show them again the way of love. How do we do that, church? We model it with our life. We model it by example. We roll up our sleeves and we get involved. We roll up our sleeves and we go to meetings and we go to councils and we go to wherever we need to to raise our voices as Christian people. Even to the point where sometimes if we have to say, you know what, I can't do that because that's not what I follow. That's not the life that I live. Say it. God's put you here to show a more excellent way of love to our world. The nation of Israel had the opportunity to show Rome something new and different, but because they didn't understand Jesus, because they completely misunderstood his mission, Jesus wept over the city. Today, just like the city of Jerusalem, we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus. We find ourselves in the presence of the King of Kings. But I wonder, what does he find when he looks into our faces? What does he find? Does he see people concerned about many things? Oh, yeah. Does he see people who are so busy doing things here and there and so busy that they never bother to consider the things that are of eternal importance? Does he see people who recognize him for who he is? I mean, here's the Messiah. Here's the one who they've been prophesying about, and now that he's in my very midst, do we recognize who he is? And when he turns and looks into our lives, I just wonder, will he weep once again because of what he sees? Or will he have that joy that passes all understanding as we respond to his outstretched arms and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we long to hear in the church. We long to hear those words at the end of our life. And so this story, it's pretty simple, reminds us of two things. Number one, Jesus' mission is to save. Our mission and our response to his mission is to praise his name. It. And you heard what he said in the text. When people don't do it, even the stones will cry out. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to let a stone get in my way. If a stone wants to cry out and praise the name of Jesus, I better be doing it as well.
So I want you to think about every opportunity that you have in life. Are you putting a good word in for Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? We live in a time where people are not afraid to say what they think. A lot of people wear their feelings right here on their shoulders and they just kind of say it, right? In your conversations with people, are you talking about Jesus? Are you talking about people that are hurting and people who are lost and people who need Jesus? Or are you griping and complaining and bickering back and forth with somebody that doesn't amount to a hill of beans in the mission of Jesus? I pray that all of our conversations can be seasoned with grace so that when we speak, we are speaking in such a way that the name of Jesus is being lifted up. Because as Jesus rode through the crowd that day, there were lots of murmuring going on. Okay? Don't murmur. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Praise his name. And so, Father, I pray that you'll be with us. And I pray that you will work and soften our hearts, Father, where we have a heart that longs to see you more clearly. Father, walk with us. And may we believe that when you sent your son Jesus, Emmanuel, you really sent him to be here with us. Father, as we're in your presence and as we are in your midst, may it be moments that our lives are transformed into your likeness. Help us, Father, because we just want to see and we just want to praise your name more and more in life. It's through Jesus we pray and all the church together said,